And I want to invite my brother, uh, Gary, Gary Mata. And you know, you've heard me, how many, you've heard me talk about Gary and um, a lot because he's, you know, I always get, I always start crying when I think about Gary because I remember I have a picture in my mind the night I came to Christ. And uh, it's because he was faithful to the gospel and sharing uh, what Jesus had done in his life and how Jesus had changed his life. It, it brought revival to our family. And do we have a perfect family? No. Are you perfect? No. <laughs> but he loves the Lord. And uh, Becky and Gary's my spiritual father. He led me to Christ. He's also, uh, Gary and Becky have been our spiritual mentors. Mary and I, you know, it's like they're our go-to people, you know, for prayer, for advice, and just for counsel. And so I always, I always think, you know, if, there's a, if you see anything wrong with us, blame them. <laughs> but anyway, I, there's uh, no one I would rather hear, or rather have you hear than my brother. Um, he is faithful to the word of God. He believes it's the inerrant, authoritative word of God. He believes in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And I just want you, Lord, to anoint him. And I know it's the second service, and we're going to, you know, hear, hear the message again. But Lord, you can make things fresh. And I pray that it would be fresh for Gary as he preaches, and that you would give us open hearts and minds to hear this word of God. And I pray that you would use your word for exactly what you want it to be used for in our lives today. So Lord, uh, set him apart, sanctify him, anoint him, give him that unction of the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to hear the scripture read a little bit into your sermon, right? Right. Okay. It's, it's Gracie. Gracie should be here. I think. There Gracie. she is. Just want to see where you are, Gracie, so yeah. I can be sure to call you up when the time comes. So let's welcome my brother, Gary. Go sit down. Go sit down. It's a joy to be here. Um, Becky and I had a joyful encounter with 30-some-odd of you uh, last spring. Our church, when we retired a year and a few months ago, gave us the gift of enough money to take a trip. And we used that on a trip to Israel with Dave, Mary, and your church, part, small group of your church. We were all excited, and we got, you know, we stayed overnight in Cincinnati. We lived near Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, got on the airplane and went to JFK, and we were there ready to greet 30-some Dakotans. And they never showed up. There was an April snowstorm in Minneapolis, and they couldn't get out. And so those of, those of you that came on this trip divided up, and they went every which way, path imaginable, and by... Three days into the trip, they were all there. And the five days we had left all together were wonderful. And so it's great to see, saw some familiar faces at the 
first service and here again at this service, and we're grateful to God to have the chance to minister here today. Aren't we, Becky? I want to thank the Lord for my wife, who is providing the, uh, the visual aid, the uh, PowerPoint in this message today, which is called Spirit-Charged Prayer. Lord, may it be. Charge us up. Amen. Uh, we've had a number of battery battles with our second car. It's a 20-year-old Ford Escort. Last winter, uh, before the trip to Israel, our van was in the shop. So we were all set to drive the little Ford Escort to the Lexington Airport to catch an economy Allegiant Airlines flight to Orlando to visit our son, my brother's namesake, David Mata, and his wife, Marley, in Orlando. Our bags were loaded. I stuck the key in the ignition of that little cubby blue Ford, turned it, nothing, nothing. We left a message on our mechanic's answering machine. He had our other car, and he had done house calls before, and for the first time in Becky and my life, we called Uber. And it worked. We got to the airport and went on our visit. That's how we handled our car's dead battery. But what if our prayer battery fails? What do we do if we just don't feel like praying anymore? If it becomes old hat, too much routine, or even a waste of time? What if from disuse... We find that we can fake the Christian life just fine without prayer. And then, when we need prayer, when we need it the most, we stick the key in the, in the ignition and turn the key and nothing. What do we do? In my analogy, the mechanic Willing to do house calls is none other than the Holy Spirit. And our passage from Romans contains some of the most wonderful promises in the Bible to those of us with dead prayer batteries. Paul's letter to the Romans, let's talk about it for a minute, is the most complete treatise on Christianity ever written under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In writing to the church at Rome, Paul was not dealing with problems like he had to deal with when he wrote Corinth or when he wrote Galatia. No, he was writing his best summary of Christianity to a church he had not planted and had not yet visited. When Gracie reads, we're going to pick up our reading at Romans 8.12 at the very heart of what some call the Holy Spirit chapter of the Bible and what many believe to be the high point of the New Testament. But I gotta say this first, because sometime during the last couple of weeks I was reading 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 for my devotions. 
And Paul's words there leapt up off the page, as I hope they leap up off the screen at you. Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Since our mom has been unable to travel, Dave has mostly traveled to us when we were in Morton, Illinois, and now when we're in Lexington area of Lexington, Kentucky. He's traveled to us, but we haven't been here. Becky and I haven't been here for a long time. But here we are at last. For the first time in four or five years, we are here and I get to preach. I'm so excited. And the scripture Dave gives me focuses on the Holy Spirit. But Paul said to the first Corinthians, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hmm. So I've got to tell you this. There would be no Romans 8, no Holy Spirit chapter, no high point in the New Testament without Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the salvation he fashioned for us, which is described in detail in Romans chapter 1 through 7. There's no mechanic to come fix our broken batteries. No Holy Spirit available to help charge our prayer battery without Jesus, crucified and raised from the dead, glorified and ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Everybody get it? Let's practice. You know, I'll ask a question and you answer. Did you get that? There's no Holy Spirit power without Jesus Christ and him crucified. Good, you got it. So after seven chapters in which the Holy Spirit is mentioned four times, twice kind of offhandedly, we arrive at Romans 8. Gracie, 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 come. We arrive at Romans 8 where the Spirit explodes onto the scene with at least 20 references, more than half of which Gracie will share as she reads Romans 8, 12 through 27. Grace, you got your script? You got it all. Go. Oh, that's right. They can see you better because this is so tall. Yeah. We'll take a step forward so they can see you over there okay. too. Oh, you're awesome, Gracie. Romans 8, 12 to 27. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to our sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to our sinful nature, we will die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies as our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? What if we hope for what we do not yet have? We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the, know the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Stay here. Stand up and let's thank the Lord for God's word together. Just stretch your legs. Stand up and let's thank the Lord for God's vessel in bringing his word to us. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word, your written word, and your word become flesh. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for Gracie, for this vessel of your Holy Spirit in giving to us a fresh taste of your word this day. Now allow our chewing, our meditating, our study of your word together to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, thank you. You want the, you want the mic? I'll, bless you, bless you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Yes, you may be seated. Awesome. Thank you, Gracie. So, to have spirit-charged prayer one needs to have received the Holy Spirit. And at the end of this message, I'm going to give us a chance to receive Christ if by some amazing miracle you haven't had that or taken that opportunity yet, but also a chance to receive the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. To have spirit-charged prayer, we need to have received the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 15, you have received the Holy Spirit. And this is because he's writing to Christians, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They have Christ and they have the Holy Spirit. We don't divvy up the Trinity piecemeal. You receive Christ, it's because and by and through the Holy Spirit that you have been saved. Now that doesn't mean that they who have received Christ have received what we call the baptism or the fullness or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but all Christians have the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying in part in Romans 8. Now today there are hundreds of Holy Spirit messages in Romans 8, but we're going to only look at one. We're going to see what help Romans 8 can give to us about the Holy Spirit we received, who lives in us, and how that Holy Spirit who lives in us can fuel or recharge our prayer batteries. 
So first, the first piece of information I'm going to pass on to you is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Once a person has accepted Christ, received him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit immediately begins to work, to witness, to inform, to reveal to you or to me this truth. The truth is, you are a child of God. Can you hear the Holy Spirit witness that truth to you right now? Holy Spirit, come. Help us to hear you say, you are a child of God. Faith in Jesus Christ makes you a child of God, and it's the Holy Spirit that witnesses that truth to us over and over again, daily, maybe even right now. Sometimes it comes like a whisper. When we're feeling the loneliest and the most abandoned, the Holy Spirit comes and says, you're a child of God. Don't forget that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shouts that truth like surprise at a, at a surprise birthday party. You are a child of God. It's time to celebrate. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shouts it as a warning. There's temptation going on. And the Holy Spirit says, you are a child of God. Don't go there. <laughs> right? You are a child of God. This is what the Spirit is continuously reminding us. And then the Holy Spirit in freeing us from fear and the fear of abandonment and loneliness, the Spirit of God enables us to speak, frees our vocal cords to say this to God. You, God, are my Father. The Spirit has told us you're a child of God and now we can say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you, God, are my Father. Say it. You, God, are my Father. And the Spirit allows us, invites us to use even the most intimate of terms in addressing God. It's a word more meaningful, deeper and fuller than our words, Daddy or Papa. It's that word Abba in Aramaic, a term of respect and familiarity 
so full and rich that sometimes that's the word. God, God, well, let's practice it. Let's say, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, let's say, Abba, Father. Ready? One, two, three. Abba, Father. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and seal our verbalization of your fatherhood and your love and your sacrifice for us. And then, on top of it all, the Holy Spirit speaks to us yet again. If we are children, if we are sons and daughters, then the Holy Spirit guarantees us this truth. You are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. As an heir of God, that would put all of the suffering of this life that you and I experience into perspective. For Paul goes on to say, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and heirs, quote, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this life, of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Isn't it nice to be adopted? Huh? Isn't it nice to be an adopted daughter of God? An adopted son of God? And what a blessing it is to be an heir of God. Woo! Heir? Inheritance? Heritage? Woo! What it's... I, I, my question is, though, what does all this have to do with recharging my prayer life? Huh? How about this? Three words come to my mind. I want you to sort of fixate on these words. The words are intimacy, access, and confidence. See, our adoption as children of God which is taught to us through the Holy Spirit, is to remind us of the intimacy possible, the child-parent intimacy that is possible for us. And the access that we have with the God, the creator of the universe, we can knock on his door anytime. And the confidence that is ours whenever we make a request. Not that he'll give us exactly what we ask for, but that he'll give us the very best. Intimacy, access, and confidence. I first heard this true story from Nikki Gumbel, the founder or co-founder of the course called the Alpha Course. He's the rector of Holy Trinity Brompton Anglican Church in London, England. And I checked it to be sure this was a true story. During the Civil War, a young soldier lost his father. 
and his only brother at the Battle of Gettysburg. He requested a furlough to go to Washington to see President Lincoln to ask for an exemption from military service so that he could go and help his sister and his mother with spring planting on the farm. When he approached the White House and asked to see the president, the guard said, you can't see the president, young man. Don't you know there's a war going on? The president is a very busy man. Now go away, son. Get back out there on the battle lines where you belong. The young soldier left, disheartened. He collapsed on a park bench not far from the White House. And he must have looked grief-stricken. A little boy came up to him and said, Soldier, you look unhappy. What's wrong? And inexplicably, the soldier began to pour out his heart to this little boy. He told him everything. And the boy listened. And when the soldier was done, the boy said, I can help you. He took the soldier by the hand and led him back to the front gate of the White House, right past the guard who had rebuffed him earlier. They walked straight in through the front door of the White House and no one stopped them. They walked past generals and high-ranking officials and no one said a word. The soldier was more and more amazed. Finally, they reached the Oval Office where the president was working and the little boy didn't even knock on the door. He just walked right in and led the soldier in with him. Behind the desk, stood Abraham Lincoln and his Secretary of State bended over the battle plans that were laid out on his desk. The president looked at the boy and then at the soldier and said, good afternoon, Todd. Can you introduce me to your friend? And Todd Lincoln, the son of the President of the United States, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier pled his case before Mr. Lincoln, and right then and there, he received the exemption he had desired. It doesn't take rocket science, does it, to see the point of that illustration? It doesn't take rocket science to understand that the meaning of this picture is the intimacy Think Todd and Abraham Lincoln. The intimacy, the access, and the confidence we can have in prayer. Why? Because we've been adopted. We're sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? Good. And who is it that has informed us of this wonderful truth? It's the spirit of adoption. Come and fill us, Lord, with such confidence, such access, and such intimacy. But I'm going to be the first one here to admit that I don't always have that sense of intimacy or that, that feeling of getting through access to God and confidence that Todd obviously had with Abraham. I don't have that in prayer consistently. What's wrong? What's wrong? Well, here, I saw this. This was like a first-time aha thing when I was studying for this. 
There is an already, not yet, aspect to our adoption. Now, you just, just look into Romans 8, and you'll see. Romans 8.15 says, you have received the spirit of adoption. Paul's talking to Christians like us. But eight verses later, Paul says, we, we Christians, groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for our adoption. There is an already but not yet aspect to our adoption. So what do we do while we wait? Where do we go while we wait for the consummation of our adoption, the completion of our redemption? Like all creation waits, but what do we do? Folks, we have in the Holy Spirit, not only the spirit of adoption, but the spirit, this is point number two out of two, (laughs) if you're counting, we have the spirit of help. So say spirit of adoption, say spirit of help. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Our weaknesses, uh, sometimes it's referred to in, in, in some versions as plural, weaknesses. Other times it's just the general word, weakness. Either way, weakness is not necessarily a bad thing. Our weakness humbles us, puts us in a needy place before God, and positions us to receive God's grace. God opposes the proud, those that don't think they need anything but gives grace to the humble. Or, as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 2.9, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So admitting we're weak is like opening up a direct line with God who dispatches his Holy Spirit to come help us in our weakness. What kind of weakness? What kind of weaknesses? Well, any that come to your mind, anything that makes you feel less than the Superman or Supergirl of Christian faith, anything that besets you, that's a weakness. Anything that trips you up, that's a weakness. Anything that makes you feel powerless is a weakness. It could be weakness in the face of sufferings of any kind as was mentioned earlier in verse 18. It could be physical weakness. I experienced a little of that three years ago since I've been here last, since Becky and I have been here last. I've had two new knees put in at the same time. And they're great, they're working great. But that allowed me to feel weakness. It could be simply, and this is the context of our weakness here, it could be knowing what to say to God in prayer, especially when we're overcome by grief or disappointment or suffering or sin. And we don't know what to say to God because of another weakness, a a two-sided weakness. We don't know our own hearts. We really don't know what's there but the Holy Spirit does. And we really don't know the mind and heart of God perfectly. Ah, but the Holy Spirit does. And how does the Holy Spirit help? The Holy Spirit 
searches hearts, it says in verse 27. In other words, he knows you inside and out better than you know yourself. And the Holy Spirit knows God's mind and will. Therefore, the Holy Spirit can act as our go-between, our helper, connecting us with God, bringing us together, interceding for us without fault and without failure. Now that is a spirit that helps. I want to mention a phrase that's always meant a lot to me in this passage. It's the phrase, groaning too deep for words. It's a phrase that's given me peace. Sometimes when the Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us and connects us with God, the Spirit's prayers take forms that are literally, as the Scripture says, too deep for words such as groans, or sighs, or tears, or laughter, or even what we call a prayer language, or praying in tongues. Through such things, the Spirit is crying out to the Father in the name of Jesus on our behalf and doing it perfectly in a way too deep for words. This has been a big comfort to me because, you know, since the beginning, since I accepted Christ, someone walked me through what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I received the gift of tongues, not as a public gift, but as a private prayer language. And one day, early on, three or four or five years into my walk with Christ, I found myself at a pastor's meeting at which only two pastors showed up. The Nazarene pastor and the assistant pastor at the Methodist church, me. And he was a non-charismatic, non-tongue thing at all. And I was very much the other way. And so we started praying for our town. We got down on our knees together and we were beseeching God. And we both prayed in our own language, in English, as best as we could. And the, the needs of the town and our churches was so great that by the end of the prayer, my friend, my pastor friend, Dave Penn, was praying without words at all, just groans. He was groaning in beseeching God for revival. And I lapsed into tongues and was praying in a prayer language. And we prayed that way for a long time. And when we got done, we looked at each other and basically said, we were doing the same thing. We were praying in a manner too deep for words because the Holy Spirit had come and was praying our hopes and dreams through us with prayers too deep for words. So after that, I never had the feeling of uh, separation that I had at first from brothers and sisters in Christ who don't operate in the gifts the way I did. Just a little, little thing. I'm throwing it out there for you. So, is your prayer battery failing? 
Nobody's going to admit it. Is there a problem, a sin, a situation that you've just stopped lifting up to God? Have you secretly given up on prayer and found that you could fake the Christian life just fine without it, as I said earlier? Last week, the pastor of our little Methodist church in Nicholasville, Kentucky, gave us copies of John Wesley's small group questions, questions that you were supposed to answer out loud as you went around the circle in one of Wesley's small group meetings. Questions like, did the Bible live in me today? Or have I disobeyed God in anything? Whoa. But question eight out of 21 caught my eye. The question to answer was, am I enjoying prayer? Am I enjoying prayer? Did you you remember? Or did you even know that Wesley taught that we should enjoy prayer? Huh? I had forgotten. But it only makes sense that the Spirit has done his job in us. If the spirit of adoption has convinced us that we are God's son or God's daughter, should it be joyful to commune with our heavenly father in prayer? In the last 15 years, my brother and I have often said to each other, what a joy it would be to have celebrated with our dad a Cubs victory like they had in 2016. But how much more joyful should our communion with our Heavenly Father be? Am I enjoying prayer? I think the spirit of adoption would have us enjoy prayer like we would enjoy intimate communion with our parents. If the spirit of help has come to us in our weakness, and has guided our prayers and met our needs according to God's riches and glory, shouldn't there be, because of the spirit of help, assisting us, praying through us, shouldn't there be joy unspeakable, too deep for words, and full of glory? I think there should be. Why not open yourself up to the Holy Spirit this day? Here's a chance. I mentioned Nikki Gumbel earlier, and I love Nikki Gumbel's sorry, thank you, please prayer. I want to lead us in that. And if you in childlike faith have never said yes to Jesus, here's an opportunity or to recommit your life to Christ. And at the end of this, I'm going to pray a prayer that asks God to fill us full to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption and the spirit of help. So are you ready? Stay seated, relax, maybe open your hands to the Lord. And if you're up for this, repeat after me. My prayer's not perfect, but your heart can be turned toward God. Say, dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin, for all that separates me from you. Thank you, dear Jesus, 
for suffering on the cross, for rising from the dead, for being alive right now in victory. Please, dear Jesus, come and live in me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption. Your spirit of help. That I might enjoy communion with you. Now and forever. Your name. Amen.